Hey everyone, welcome back to the Adra Insider Podcast. This week you're going to find things a little bit different. It's the height of the camp meeting season. And if you're not familiar with that term, camp meeting is a type of large group gathering that takes place in Seventh-day Adventist administrative areas called conferences. So for example, this past weekend was the Ontario Conference Camp Meeting, and a few weeks prior to that there was a smaller scale Western Ontario Camp Meeting. Not every conference lines up exactly with state or provincial lines, but that should kind of give you a good idea of the nature of things. The point is, Teresa Ferreira, your usual host, has had her plate pretty full preparing for and attending these meetings where she serves as a spokesperson for ADRA Canada. In addition, after some personnel changes in our department, Teresa has taken on the roles and responsibilities of the Philanthropy and Marketing Department Assistant Director. Specifically, In that position of assistant director, she is filling the shoes of Douglas Pereira, who recently moved on from ADRA to pursue work in other areas in the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Canada. Douglas was a joy to work with, of course, and in fact, he was the one largely responsible for bringing me on board the team. So we're sad to see him go, but excited to see the great work that he'll certainly do in his new role. In the meantime, though, Teresa has been extremely busy onboarding into new responsibilities, and so this week I'm taking over hosting duties temporarily. But Teresa will be back soon, and we are hoping to be back on schedule with the show, you know, barring all of these changes. Now, with that being said, today's episode is yet another part in our Year of Justice theme, and we're going to spend some time talking about how Azure promotes justice in our emergency response programs. I'm Max Aka, your temporary host and usual producer. And this is Adra Insider. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show, of course. So as 2023 continues to march steadily along, so does the seemingly endless wave of disasters, emergencies, and conflicts. We are still receiving stories from Ukraine, staggering, heartbreaking stories of struggle, pain, and survival. Our goal for this podcast was to do a thorough, in-depth episode to mark the one-year anniversary of the war in February. Hear what I said there, February. You did eventually get that episode, but we meant to do it in February. But those plans were majorly disrupted when massive earthquakes rocked Turkey and Syria. ADRA Canada and our extended ADRA network kicked into overdrive as the reported death toll kept rising and the overwhelming needs became increasingly clear. Now, we did eventually get that longer Ukraine episode published for you. But during that time, ADRA had continued responding to the hunger crisis affecting so much of East and Northeastern Africa due to continuous drought, climate change, and economic inequality. We received very thorough reports and assessments from parts of Kenya, Somalia, and Sudan, telling us about how our projects were going and pointing towards potential areas for improvement and expansion of our programs. But bad news struck again. It turned out that all was not well in Sudan. As we received news about the RSF and SAF breaking out into violence against one another, we waited anxiously to hear whether our Sudanese staff members had found their way to safety. Thankfully, None of them were wounded in the fighting, and some of them have begun to assess what is needed to assist with the broader disaster response. In fact, what I wrote here is a little bit out of date. They have already begun response at this point, but it did take some time for that to get underway. Now, while we eagerly waited for the first situation reports from Sudan, we caught word from the West. 
over a hundred wildfires, at least 30 of them out of control, were burning their way across the Canadian province of Alberta. Thousands of people had been forced to flee from their homes due to poor air quality or dangerous proximity to the flames. As evacuations continue, we are slowly mobilizing local ADRA volunteers and waiting for assessments of the full scope of emerging needs. And then Cyclone Mocha hit Myanmar and Bangladesh. And then we got news of violence breaking out in Haiti. And actually, now that I'm looking at the news, it looks like an earthquake just hit Haiti today, June 6th, just this morning. Seriously? This is the life at Adra. This is a front row seat to the... (sighs) This is a front row seat to the direst human circumstances. No sooner do we begin responding to or even assessing an emerging situation than another one pops up. To watch it play out in real time is honestly kind of overwhelming. I'm not sure, and maybe I need to ask other people on the Adra Canada team if this is a normal year or if this is crazier than usual, because my goodness, this is, this is a lot. Now, in our ongoing year of justice, our theme for the month of May was responding to emergencies. And honestly, I think we would have probably gotten this podcast episode to you within May if there hadn't been so many emergencies. But this is basically Adra's calling card. It is the thing that we are most well known for. And there's a reason for that. ADRA does emergency response very well. We have spoken already about the ADRA network and the incredible power of having a team of over 100 offices worldwide ready to respond at a moment's notice when disaster strikes. But there is also the less glamorous side of emergency management, which we have experienced a couple times already, recently. And that is the challenge of waiting while not knowing quite what is going on. In this episode of Adra Insider, we are going to share some examples with you of how things go when it comes time to respond to emergencies. We are going to explore what it's like to be in the early, I don't know what's going on stages of a disaster, as well as at the completely opposite end of the spectrum, exploring the longer term implications of emergency management. This is Adra Insider after all, and we're here to give you an inside look. We will also give you some recent updates about current emergencies, especially the ones in Sudan and Alberta. You'll hopefully gain some insights into just how diverse ADRA's emergency responses can be, both at home and abroad. And we hope you'll also come to understand more about how some of these situations came about. So with that being said, let's get into it. So to begin, the most immediately pressing emergency on the minds of many Canadians right now has to do with the wildfires spreading across Alberta right now. That was a sentence that I wrote a couple weeks ago as we were working around rescheduling things, handling other more pressing tasks, and so on. More pressing than the podcast, I mean. The Alberta fires. Those were the hot topic at the time. But just yesterday, CBC reported at least 160 wildfires now burning across Quebec, most of them described as out of control. What's even worse is that while the Alberta fires were the primary emerging national fire crisis, Quebec and Ontario sent many of their firefighters over to Alberta to help. At present, it seems that Quebec's forest firefighting agency has had its capacity overwhelmed and reinforcements from the Canadian military are now required to help put out the flames. All right. I'm going to be completely honest with you. This is going to have to be a couple of episodes, I think, because I don't got it. I know there's a lot to cover, and it looks like there's just going to be increasingly more to cover as the days go on. 
we're going to get more information about Haiti. We're going to get probably more information about Quebec and Nova Scotia, it turns out, too, also on fire. We're getting more information about Sudan. We're getting more information about all of these emergencies that are happening right now. And I cannot by any means cover it all in this episode. I've been trying to add things to the script as I go, and it's just going to be too much. Just going to be too much. So I think this is going to turn into two episodes. Thank you for bearing with me. Sometimes it also takes a while for us to get the full story. So it, sh- it certainly took time for communication to get moving with the situation in Sudan. And you'll see why shortly. But yeah, a lot to take in. And if I keep trying to update this episode with everything that's happening, I'll never finish it. So let's talk about Alberta. On May 6, 2023, the Canadian province of Alberta declared a state of emergency due to multiple wildfires. There have also been multiple states of local emergency, or SOLE, declared. Hot, dry, and windy conditions throughout many parts of the province have been producing volatile burning conditions. The province's premier, Danielle Smith, described the situation as an unprecedented crisis. Recent stats indicate over 29,000 people have been evacuated from their homes, with thousands more on evacuation alert. At its worst, 110 fires were burning across the central and northern parts of the province, and 36 of them were considered out of control. At the time when I originally wrote this, 83 active wildfires were burning, though they have since gotten some of them under control. While wildfires, as their name suggests, do occur naturally in the wild, the average amount of territory that would normally have been burned at this time of the year would be about 800 hectares in total. Since the beginning of 2023, Alberta has seen over 350,000 hectares of land set ablaze, with the most recent fires being a distressing escalation of this recent trend. The effect this has on human life should not be underestimated. As mentioned before, droves of people have been forced to flee from their homes, whether due to poor air quality, the threat of oncoming flames, or the looming threat of power outages in whole towns, such as what happened in the municipality of Jasper. And in rural areas, some farmers have been forced to leave their cattle behind as they've fled. They risk losing entire herds if the fires head in the wrong direction. Though the situation is dire, help is on the way. The declaration of a state of emergency does allow the government more control and resources in order to help smooth evacuation and response processes. Hundreds of additional firefighters arrived from Ontario and Quebec to assist the Albertans in controlling and quenching the flames. Some parts of the province received a little bit of rain, but weather forecasts pointed to a quick return to hot and dry conditions, which is, of course, what ended up happening. Now, ADRA Canada and the Alberta Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church are looking to mobilize some of our basic emergency response supplies to those in need. With Edmonton being one of the cities most majorly at risk from the fires, ADRA has reached out to the Red Willow Community Seventh-day Adventist Church. This church has undergone ADRA's Disaster and Emergency Response, DER, training program and stands ready to use the church as a shelter for evacuees, to serve as a depot for emergency supplies, and to cooperate with the Provincial Emergency Coordination Center, PECC, should they request to use the church as an emergency operations center. So at this moment, we find ourselves waiting for updates from our team on the ground to find out more about how things are playing out. We are still praying for all the evacuees, for the strength and wisdom of all the emergency responders, and for God to send rain on the region if he sees fit. I would add, again, not trying to add too much, but at this point, we're praying for God to rain on Quebec too, and on Nova Scotia and anywhere else in Canada that might be suffering from wildfires right now. Now, this is obviously an example of what things look like in the early stages of an emergency when things are happening quickly. We haven't yet heard from the people who have mobilized on the ground. They're too busy 
actually responding to necessarily send us a nice little report about what's happened, right? That's kind of how it goes. There is a little bit of a waiting time, and it can be a little tense. On the opposite side of the spectrum, we have been working in Ukraine for over a year now. At least we've been working there longer than that. Adra Ukraine has been around for some time. But in terms of the invasion of Ukraine that began last year, it's been over a year now since that took place. And in that context, we are dealing with what you might consider the longer term effects of an emergency. So last month, we received testimonials from several women in Ukraine. ADRA's LEAP, or Life-Saving Evacuation Assistance and Protection Program, has been addressing some of the longer-term effects of the war, especially when it comes to mental health and psychosocial support. We have, of course, already covered the war in Ukraine on this podcast in previous episodes. I've alluded to that already. But the later stages of emergency management are something that deserve further coverage. War is often stereotyped as a man's arena. During this invasion of Ukraine, many men have bravely stepped up to the front lines to defend their homes and communities. The unfortunate truth is that the front lines have an unsettling habit of finding their way back home. Many of these soldiers suffer war-related post-traumatic psychological wounds. These traumas too often lead to the perpetration of domestic violence. Ukraine's government said that more than 60% of its soldiers are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, and about half of the population needs psychological help to cope with the war. And so war-wounded men too often come home with damaged psyches and sometimes radically changed behaviors and personalities. Other times, their efforts at war fail, and the literal front line of the fighting makes its way through their hometown. In some cases, these men never make it back home. And in light of all this, we begin to see just how much of the long-term weight of war ends up being shouldered by women. Teresa did pre-record some parts for this. Haha, look at that. She actually will show up in this episode. And she's going to get in character and read you some of the testimonies of these women. The stories are heartbreaking in many ways, but they also highlight the importance of mental health as part of emergency response, especially in a man-made disaster like the war in Ukraine. So to start, here is the story of 47-year-old Elena. When I saw the cannons of tanks pointed at the windows of my home, I knew it was time to leave. There were people armed with guns all around. It was terrifying. Prior to the war, I had been in an abusive marriage. I lived under the constant threat of psychological and physical violence from my husband's hands and cruel insults. While I did not go to the police or see a psychologist, I had enough strength to file for divorce and leave him before the war. I worked hard and tried to distract myself from the heavy thoughts about my life. But then came the war. I managed to flee to my brother's place in Kiev. He has a family with children, but took me in nonetheless. And although I had my brother to help me, I still found my life difficult. I had lost my job and had no money. My heart was heavy with fear and anxiety. A woman I knew recommended that I seek help from a psychologist at Adra. I wrote a request and started working with a psychologist. My life began to slowly change. I continued living my new life, 
while recovering from all the things I had been through. I feel better now, and I feel I've begun to understand myself more. I have started to appreciate my life and even my own self. I learned about services that can be contacted in cases of domestic violence. I realized that I never want to allow myself to be treated so badly ever again. And because of the support I received from the psychologist, I had learned a lot and I feel more like myself. I've begun to accept myself, support myself, and do things that make me happy, rather than just scolding myself as I did before. I am so grateful to this psychologist and to Adra for supporting me during such a difficult time. You have excellent specialists. Thank you so much. This next story comes from a woman named Ina. In 2014, everything was normal. I was raising a child with my husband and finishing my studies in university. But unfamiliar people began to appear in my hometown. And although the city is Russian-speaking, they were a different language, appearance, and most importantly, in their penetrating and suspicious gaze. One day, as I was returning home from university, a very expensive car blocked the road in front of me. Four men with automatic weapons dragged the driver out, made him kneel, and began beating him with a rifle. Then they began shelling the city. My family decided to leave the city and continue our education elsewhere because it was too dangerous to stay. My family moved to the central part of the country and started to arrange our lives. But my husband's behavior began to change. He started to insult, bully, and belittle me, at first justifying his behavior with the stress he experienced from the war. But then he started abusing alcohol, and one day he hit me in the face. I endured it because there was nowhere for me to go. The physical violence was repeated. I eventually divorced my husband, and after some time, I got married again. My new partner was a loving person who treated my eldest child well. I had a great job, and things were going well enough that our family started to look for a city in Ukraine to settle down and start a new life. We really liked Irpin. On February 24, 2022, we woke up to terrible explosions. The sky was black, planes were flying low with engines roaring. My past experiences came flooding back. I gathered everything valuable, my son, husband, and cat. We waited in line at the gas station for eight hours, and people in the queue began to talk about the first casualties from the shelling. Everything was on fire and exploding. We traveled to Lviv for eight days, sometimes driving 150 kilometers a day. We watched the news for two months. We cried when we heard about the casualties in our city, cried when we saw photos of our city, stared at every photo, afraid to see our loved ones, acquaintances, and our home. We returned to the city at the end of April as soon as we were allowed. Over time, I realized that I needed a psychologist because without a specialist, I wouldn't be able to cope with and process everything I was carrying. And so I turned to the psychologist at Adra. 
Without his help, things would have continued to be very difficult for me. Thank you. Finally, this is the story of 32-year-old Daria Borovkova. Ukrainian friends, please, please, please forgive my pronunciation. Now, um, try to take note of the ways that her story both overlaps with and differs from the other stories. My name is Daria Borovkova. I live with my husband, Artem, and our daughter, Sofia. We used to live in a big house. I had a steady job and our daughter went to school and enjoyed dancing. In 2014, my husband joined the military to defend our country. He is still serving. And today, we are displaced people. When the invasion of our country began, we had to leave our home, my job, our daughter's school, friends, and everything we had grown accustomed to over the years. We left for another oblast and found a dormitory. My husband went to war, and my daughter and I lived in a room without any amenities or ways to communicate with him. Humanitarian organizations helped us with food, clothing, and dishware. I had no contact with my family, and we had no acquaintances in the new and unfamiliar city. My daughter struggled with a lack of communication, the absence of loved ones, and the loss of our home. We just couldn't get used to having nothing. When my husband started getting short leaves to be with the family, we hoped that everything would improve, but nothing changed. Every day, week, and month, things got worse. And I watched other families whose husbands were serving and realized that we were lucky because many who returned from war were mentally troubled. Other women I met told me that their husbands came home irritable, angry, and aggressive, and they had fights over basically nothing. These men had not processed what they had seen and experienced in the war. It even led to divorces. I was afraid of such a situation in our family. My child needed rehabilitation, and I started looking for specialists who could help us get through it. Through the internet, I found out about ADRA and learned that they had qualified psychologists. I contacted them and met with the woman who would become my psychologist. We started with group sessions so that my child could see that we were not alone in our struggles. I hoped to make some friends. After that, we started attending individual sessions with my child, myself, and my husband as well as family consultations. I began to see progress, and currently we continue to attend sessions. The anxiety and fear are gone, but the cause of it all remains. So until all the horrors end, we will continue to communicate with our psychologist. The stories of these Ukrainian women remind us that the implications of emergencies extend far beyond the moments when those emergencies dominate the news cycle. The headlines may stop, but life for those affected goes on. And in a world where bad news is kind of the air we breathe, it's easy to forget one situation as another emerges. You might have noticed that one of the major themes of this episode so far has been this 
ongoing, seemingly continuous cascade of new emergencies popping up and even just the the practical frustration that comes with trying to get this show out to you in a timely manner, in a way that covers what's happening and stays on schedule. I mean, you've, I'm sure, gathered and noticed my frustration at this point. And that is why I'm also going to say this is a good point to cut this off. I think we're almost at like 25-ish minutes or something at this point. And I think that's enough. Granted, there's a lot more to cover and I have a whole thing on Sudan that I want to mention as well that I want to dedicate proper time to. And I think that deserves to pop up at the start of an episode. So there's going to be a part two to this. There's going to be another episode that is on um, emergency response because there's so much of that going on right now and it warrants us being able to say something about all of the relevant emergencies and all of the relevant disasters that are happening in our world right now. I do want to be able to tell you something about Quebec as well and Nova Scotia. I do want to be able to say something a little more than I have right now about Haiti and Myanmar and Bangladesh and all of these other situations, right? So we are going to move in that direction. But for now, I'm going to cut it off because my goodness, that is a lot to digest. And we are already at quite a bit of length here. So thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for being our listeners, and thank you for those of you who are ADRA supporters, those of you who are monthly donors or major donors or whatever you might happen to be, whatever arrangement you have, whatever capacity you are involved with ADRA, it does mean a lot to us. Our volunteers, our prayer warriors, our angels, everyone who is a part of this network of people, a part of this organization, contributes to the vital work that we do. We would not have an ongoing response in Alberta right now if it were not for volunteers and people who participated in our disaster readiness training program. We would not have the kind of, um, you know, long-term sustained response with Ukraine that we have if it weren't for our supporters, people who did benefit concerts, people who gave money, and of course, brave people overseas who gave of their own, you know, sacrificially gave up uh, the, you know, the risk of their own well-being to be evacuation drivers and all of the brave people over at Adra Ukraine who have been at work in a war zone to make the lives of people better. I mean, it's really amazing to think about. And so while we don't necessarily always have all the answers about, you know, how is everything ultimately going to resolve, while we don't necessarily always have the answers about like, you know, when are these kinds of disasters going to stop? Which I guess is probably more of a theological question than anything. We do have right now, we do have the initial response. We do have that patience that says, wait another day, we'll find out what's happening. And when we know what's happening, we hit the ground running. Because we have systems in place for that, because we have volunteers in place for that, because we have people like you, supporters like you, who make our work possible. Thank you for sticking with us for this episode. We're going to wrap up right here. I have been Max Aka, your temporary host and usual producer, typical, stereotypical, regular producer. And this is the Adra Insider Podcast. You guys take care of yourselves and we'll see you in the next episode.